Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. I'm not sure if you're familiar, John, with an internet product called Masterclass, where celebrity teachers provide online classes in their area of expertise, but USA Today recently ran an article on the top 10 most popular classes. And it turns out the number one spot belongs to a former Gamble On podcast guest, Daniel Negreanu, who teaches <laughs> poker for the site. So, uh, yeah, congrats to Daniel on that. I feel confident in asserting that he owes most of his success to the Gamble On <laughs> appearance. Um, my question for you, John, is which master class would you take if you could take just one? Uh, gardening with Ron Finley? Gordon Ramsay's cooking class? Or are you more of a RuPaul on self-expression and authenticity guy? Yeah, none of the above there. Um, (laughs) You know, I I just saw that Bob Dylan has a new album or CD or whatever they call it these days uh, coming out next month. And uh, I'd love to learn about like poetic writing from him. But um, Mm. I also see that he only has 402,000 Twitter followers and it should be 402 million. But um, (laughs) that might be might be shooting a little high. Go in the middle, like four million or something. And the best part is, you know, how many people he follows? nobody ah one of those (laughs) that's the story of his career right he follows no one so uh i don't know at this point in my life i think i'd rather give a master class and take one maybe on how to stumble forrest gump like into all sorts of improbable (laughs) adventures um so if i ever figure out how i did that i teach that course but now that I think about it, that's uh, that's thinking too small. You know, my dad uh, never picked up a golf club until he was 80 years old, and I uh, wound up playing uh, pretty well for seven or eight years. So uh, I think in that spirit, uh, I'm going to start thinking about that master class list and, and come up with something that I can follow. Okay, yeah, never uh, n- not, never too late for an old dog to learn new tricks, something yeah. like that. I didn't quite get the phrasing right, I don't think, but I'm, I'm on the right path. Yeah, I was I was looking at that top 10, and for me, there's one that stands out that, that has my interest, and it's the Penn and Teller, the Art of Magic class. Uh, oh. not, not that I aspire to be able to do magic myself, uh, but I'll at least be entertained watching their class. I've always enjoyed what they do, although it sounded from your re- reaction like you're not a big magic fan or not a big Penn and Teller fan or both. 
I think Penn and Teller are very talented. I can't stand magic. So yeah. <laughs> uh, the fact that I can even tolerate them in small doses is a tribute to their abilities because <laughs> magic has no appeal to me whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I kind of like magic, um, but I'll also note that if I had to take a poker class from anyone on this list other than Daniel Negreanu, it would be Penn Gillette. He's a, he's a pretty good poker mm-hmm. player. I mm-hmm. would not trust him to be the dealer, though. Ne- never let a professional <laughs> magician deal the cards. That's my yeah, advice. That's- that's a safe bet, I think. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if, if any of these masterclass instructors uh, wants to pass Negreanu and get to number one on the list, if they're looking for the gamble on bump, they know where to find us. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 91 of Gamble On, where we offer a free weekly masterclass on podcasting. If you missed any of our previous 90 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Yeah, now we're coming up a little later in the show. We're going to be joined by Prize Picks CEO Adam Wexler. Uh, Prize Picks finds a happy medium uh, in between DFS and the traditional sports betting, and uh, we'll talk to Adam about how the games work, how they're adapting to the current lack of sports options, and and what Prize Picks' long-term strategy is. But you know, first, it's been a moderately busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. thought the March gaming industry numbers were depressing, well, cover your ears, because the April numbers have started rolling in. The big one is New Jersey, where land-based casino revenue was, of course, zero dollars, down from $207.6 million the previous April. Sports betting revenue was $2.6 million, down from $21.2 million a year ago. Sports betting handle was $54.6 million, built via the NFL draft and a variety of off-brand sports. That was down from $313.7 million last April. But New Jersey had a much better month than any other gambling state because online casino is legal there, and it generated $80 million last month, a record, up from $36.5 million last April and up moderately from about $65 million last month. And online poker continues to grow exponentially from $1.7 million last April to $3.6 million in March 2020 to $5.1 million in April 2020. So while the news is grim, it could be worse. And it is in most other states. We also received numbers out of Indiana and Iowa this week. In both states, online sports betting is the only game in town. In Indiana, there was $26.3 million in handle and $1.6 million in revenue. And in Iowa, the handle was a measly $1.5 million and the hold was $150,000, resulting in tax revenue of, drumroll please, $9,520. Obviously, New Jersey uh, and Pennsylvania, where the numbers will probably come in a few days, are better off than everyone else. Still, New Jersey can't be thrilled with the current situation. John, any surprises for you in any of those numbers? And will the online casino numbers keep rising, or do you expect it to plateau from here? Uh, well, first, yeah, I'll mention New Jersey collected just uh, $12 million in uh, online uh, casino and sports betting revenues in, in April, uh, which is not, not a lot, but uh, it's better than – Nothing, which is what New York and most states got. So right. I agree with you there. Um, I'm mildly surprised with a 90% uh, betting drop on sports. I mean, of course, it had to be way down without MLB opening month and NBA and NHL starting the playoffs and all that. But 
I, I thought the NFL draft and the silly stuff like Russian table tennis and Belarus soccer would make a slightly bigger dent. Um, so, sort of kudos to New Jerseyans, though, for, for not betting high volumes in such uncertain times. It, it right. doesn't make much sense. So uh, it it hurts the, uh, the, the tax revenue collection, but um, I think they're being smart. Uh, I'm a little encouraged by the online poker numbers. Uh, as we've suggested before, this can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, players are checking in more and finding games they like more and that's going to keep them coming back more and that that i think that's the kind of thing that can uh, sustain itself you know beyond uh, just uh, this, these terrible times yeah I, I agree with that uh that the online poker has some continuing growth potential i'm not sure that the online casino numbers uh, really can keep growing from here i kind of think this is about where they're going to peak you know unlike sports betting and poker you can't really win in the long run, so it's it's harder to keep a bankroll going without reloading, which is good for casino revenue in a sense. Uh, but it means you churn through some customers. A lot of them won't keep coming back month after month. And also, the weather is getting nicer. People are getting outside more, spending less time in total lockdown. So I would kind of guess that online casino is actually going to begin to decline in May, that, that this might be the peak month that we just saw. Um Online poker has maybe a little more potential to keep climbing, although I, I, I still don't know if it can really get much higher than that that April $5.1 million without more interstate player pool sharing. Mm-hmm. That's the way to really expand it. So, you know, I, for New Jersey, I don't really think the state should count on casino or poker numbers really rising more from where they are now. But on the bright side, sports betting should start ticking up again. Maybe not in May, but in June, it seems more sports will be returning. It'll start inching back up, I think. Yeah, I think uh, you know NASCAR and MMA and stuff are are going to draw their uh, their people, but I think PGA Tour golf starting yep. in June really could hit it. I, that's a sport that a lot of people don't follow that closely, just the majors. And, you know, they watch here and there a Sunday of the Masters or whatever, um, or the US Open on Father's Day, the last round. But but they know a little bit about it. They know some of the players. And I think if that's the big thing they can bet on in, in mid-June uh, every weekend, I, I think that's really well positioned to it's already done better than expected in most states. People didn't think there'd be so much betting on golf. Although if you know anything about golfing like I do, um, everybody who plays golf bets. Every, <laughs> right. they, every foursome on a, on a weekend at any course from a country club to a, you know, uh, a hacker's public course, pub links, um, they bet. It's just there's no other sport that the people who play it bet on constantly than golf. So it kind of makes sense that that's going to take off. So that's going to be a half hit in June and then a bigger hit in July. So I think golf's going to lead the way forward. Agree completely. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's a, such a simple, straightforward sport to be able to find a way to bet. And there are a lot of different ways to bet it. And you don't really need to be familiar with all the players. You just need a little familiarity and maybe pick a guy to bet and, and have a sweat. Uh, yeah, it, it's I, I agree that those numbers are going to be really strong. Um, you mentioned, you know, how you were maybe expecting a little more out of the NFL draft. And, uh, you know, when, when we get the Pennsylvania numbers, that should give us a sense of how much of the New Jersey sports betting handle came from the NFL draft because we couldn't bet on the draft in Pennsylvania. So, you know, the Pennsylvania handle might only be like $5 million for April, which, you know, if, if that's the case, it suggests that like 90% of the April New Jersey handle was draft betting. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But I think the Indiana-Iowa split implies what a difference draft betting makes because Indiana allowed it and Iowa didn't. Indiana had almost 20 times the handle, although it's not apples to apples because Indiana is about twice as populous a state. And 
Iowa requires in-person registration, which is a, a brutal restriction right now. So there's a lot of <laughs> factors there, but uh, but but you know the the I think the NFL draft clearly provided a big boost for for Indiana and and probably for New Jersey. Yeah, it's something at least. I mean, these right. are. Uh... Small consolation prizes, but uh, that's all we'll take it these days. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, we are recording this podcast on Thursday, May 14th, which means today is the two-year anniversary of one of the all-time most significant moments in American gambling history, a day that paved the way for my job, John's job, and this podcast to exist, <laughs> the Supreme Court ruling that PASPA was unconstitutional, opening the door for states other than Nevada to legalize sports betting. And as we celebrate this anniversary... The Supreme Court is once again set to consider a sports betting case emanating from New Jersey, uh, the case that can be shorthanded as the Horsemen versus the Sports Leagues is one of more than 140 cases to be considered by the Supreme Court this Friday, meaning we should know in a few days whether the highest court in the land is going to be hearing this case. We've covered it before a bit on the podcast, and John has written thousands of words on it at njonlinegambling.com, but in short, the horsemen are suing the leagues for $150 million for preventing them from offering sports betting from 2014 to 2018, when, based on the 2018 PASPA ruling, it should have been legal. Uh, John, you're the expert on all of this SCOTUS stuff, uh, so I'll ask you, what stands out about the PASPA ruling two years later, and how long of a long shot is it that the court will hear this horsemen versus leagues case? And, and also, what happens with the case if the court declines? Yeah, for me, as I wrote today on that NJOnlineGambling.com, uh, you know, the real anniversary for insiders was was, was two dates. Um, June 26, 2017 is when the U.S. Supreme Court rejected the advice they had sought from the U.S. Solicitor General's office and elected to take up the case anyway. Um, that that pretty much signaled something. And then December 4th of that year, uh, the justices' questions at an oral argument in Washington, D.C. Uh, really kind of uh, signaled where they were going. So, you know, not a single justice ultimately found the infamous 1992 passable law palatable and only two voted to even put it into salvage mode. So, you know, the May 14th ruling was more of a matter of determining a time of death for PASTA. But it, <laughs> right. it, it was already done. And it was interesting because, like you said, it, it was a, a shockwave throughout the country about the expansion of legal gambling in the United States. But for those of us in the belly of the beast, you know, we knew it was coming for, you know, about a year. So um, as for the current incarnation of this controversy, um, I don't think the court's going to take it. Um, and when they don't, it'll give the horsemen much greater leverage for settlement with the leagues. Um, I always say with the endless fill Ivy versus Borgata, mini Baccarat saga. That's for a mere ten million. Let me going on for six years. Um, you know, neither side's ever going to run out of money there. But in this case, the leagues have deep pockets and the horsemen don't. So I think both sides would hold their nose and settle. Um, the one caveat I have is that, and I actually was in federal court once as a potential juror, and um, it was going to be a, like a antitrust violation of shipbuilding, something, something it's going to last eight to 10 months. And I mean, this stuff is so boring, you know, <laughs> and the Supreme Court justices, I mean, look, they're human, you know, they, they, this stuff is cool. You got horsemen, you got the NFL, NCAA, you got tons of money, you got, it's just like, it's a really cool case. So, um, you know, the stressful times for the justices too. So, um, that would be I don't think there's really a uh, constitutional argument about, you know, split circuits, having different opinions. That stuff is really weak to me in the in the legal arguments. But just the fact that this would be really cool to, to debate is the one the one thing that the leagues can maybe hang their hat on. But ultimately, I don't think the court's going to take it. 
Interesting. I hadn't really thought about that fact that maybe the Supreme Court just wants something a little fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly doesn't feel like the most important case for them to be devoting time to right now. Um, although, uh, maybe based on their ruling on the Wisconsin primary voting last month, keeping this current Supreme Court away from important cases uh, would be a good thing uh, from my perspective. Um, also, from my perspective, just as John Q. Taxpayer, you know, the the PASPA ruling was significant. It was about determining the legality of an activity for the public. This one is about money, and uh, yeah, it can establish a significant precedent, uh, but it, it doesn't impact me and my rights, um, at least not in a way that I can see. So um, it, it's certainly, I think, a, of less interest to the public than uh, the, than their their decision to take up the PASPA case. Yeah, well, the thing about PASPA was so odd is that it was the only case ever where the uh, federal government farmed out the ability to sue to a private entity like these sports leagues, which was weird. And then it also commanded the commandeered is the official legal word. They mm -hmm. commandeered the states into doing the federal government's bidding. That's like a core 1700s constitutional issue. So, you know, the court not only kind of had to decide it, but as I note, all nine justices uh, agreed this was a crappy law. I mean, there was no question about it. And let's say only two even said, well, you know, you're supposed to be able to try and salvage a law if you can, you know, which is a, a decent legal principle. But so there were so many holes in that uh, law that it had to be addressed. This is just, yeah, like you say, it's a, it's a lesser issue. Right. All right. For our final story here, uh, we just talked in part uh, about the horsemen. So staying on that subject, our third story this week is the immediate future of horse racing in several states. In John's home state of New Jersey and my home state of Pennsylvania, the tracks are waiting for the governors to give them the green light to hold races without spectators. As Meadowlands operator Jeff Gorral told John last week, the horsemen are starving, literally. They're desperate. They can't work from home. The horses lead to the same expenses, whether they are racing or not. Uh, and in Pennsylvania, the complaints have been the same. Uh, but this Tuesday, Governor Wolf sent a letter shooting down their hopes for now. He compared horse racing to other forms of entertainment like casinos and movie theaters. But uh, as the state's horsemen pointed out in an article on PennBets.com, Horse racing is an outdoor activity, and it doesn't require in-person customers to make it a viable business the way casinos and theaters do. Meanwhile, racing is up and running at some tracks in California, Florida, Oklahoma, and Nebraska, and it's been approved to resume in West Virginia and Kentucky. John, do you think these governors in our states can be persuaded and horse racing might return within, say, the next month? Or at the far other end of the spectrum, is this going to be a long, dry, costly summer for the horsemen? Uh, yeah, I, I was pretty stunned by Governor Wolf's comments comparing horse racing to casinos. Um, you know, look, the governor has more important things to deal with right now, obviously. So uh, I'm really stunned that whatever aid has been assigned to this is so clueless. Really. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, the estimate is that having actual races there would only add about 10 percent to the current uh, total of employees managing these horses anyway. So, you know, there's there's real revenue to be had and real tax dollars to be collected and they're desperately needed. And um, there's just I, I, I'm amazed at the lack of understanding. So now New Jersey is the key horse racing you know, player between Pennsylvania and New York for the North. Northeast uh, market, which is a big horse racing market, you know, has a major opportunity here. But again, Governor Murphy has much more important things to tackle himself. So again, it comes down to the wisdom of some appointed aid. Um, so it's going to be interesting.
Yeah. Well, uh, just to show that I can be critical of politicians on both sides, uh, I do think the the Democratic governors of New Jersey and Pennsylvania, while they've both made the correct decisions for the most part in terms of stay at home orders and protecting the citizens of their states, having read the quotes from the horsemen, I, I think they're making a mistake here, even if, as you say, it's uh, it's an aide, not the, not the actual governor that's maybe uh, uh, falling on the wrong side of this. But the, the horses have to be fed and cared for. The workers are there anyway. It's an outdoor activity. You don't let fans in. You just run the races and let the betting happen. I really don't see it as an activity that risks spread of the virus. And it does help get some businesses moving a little, give people a recreational activity, etc. Uh, you know, it's like sports without crowds in that if you can make a plan to do it as safely as possible, it's worth it for the mental health of the public. Uh, and in this case, it limits the financial bleeding of everyone involved in the horse racing industry. Yeah, As we learn more about the virus and we've reached a point now where we have a fairly comprehensive understanding of how it spreads, I think Wolf and Murphy would be wise to allow horse racing. Uh, the, the the horsemen are correct in my view that it's it's closer to allowing people to play golf than it is to allowing them to go to a casino or a movie theater. Oh, much closer. And this has been going on for months in Florida and Louisiana. And look, I I my inclination would not be to be that guinea pig state that does this and you know hope for the best. Um, but I'd wait and see what somebody else does. Well, we've seen what they do, and guess what? Mm. So far, so good. So now that we have seen that it can be done, you know, you can really uh, uh, you know, check in with people down there and say, you know, how is it working? What have you figured out? What is it? And then, and then you can do that. And, and, and if it has to shut down again, you know, God forbid, that's terrible. But, yeah, it seems like one of those things that, uh, you know, as we inch toward, you know, whatever new normal, whatever we call it, I think horse racing is a fairly easy one to do. I like your golf analogy. Uh, I mean, it's 90 percent like golf compared to 10 percent like casinos, really. Right. Agreed. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. One thing we've learned over the last two months is that there's plenty of room for creativity in online sports betting options. Prize Picks is a company that is proving there are ways to expand those options. Since launching officially in late 2018, Prize Picks has been gaining steam in the daily fantasy world with an approach that threads the needle between DFS and traditional sports betting. So joining us now to help explain and talk about the state of online sports gambling is the CEO of Prize Picks, Adam Wexler. Adam, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's start with the basics. As best you can in about two or three minutes, explain how Prize Picks' games work and exactly how it's different from the standard DFS that people have come to know. Sure. So um, I've, I've been in the industry now, you know, for over five years, and, and this is actually our third product. So I think it's it's best to maybe uh, give some history about how we got to Prize Picks. So what got me into the industry in the first place was I was a uh, a two decade plus season long player myself. Okay. Uh, you know, I'd been in multiple leagues. Um, but what I always wanted was ways to raise the stakes within my, my season long experience uh, and with, with my friends. So uh, the, the concept of daily fantasy, I don't know, it, it arguably was a bit foreign to me back in 2014 when I was jumping into the space. Uh, I, I'm sure I, I'm, I was aware of, um, I was aware of FanDuel and DraftKings, but I'll, I'll, I'll mention something that uh, I remember going to our first industry conference and people saying the acronym DFS. 
and I actually wasn't wasn't sure if I knew what DFS meant. That, that's ah. how important <laughs> a daily fantasy salary cap was to me. Uh, I'll go ahead and admit that right now. Um, but uh, so yeah, so so the 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 thinking all along was how do you raise the stakes for season long fantasy? And, and our original product was helping uh, the fantasy league commissioners collect the money. We, we, we figured that that was the most thankless job out there. And so we created some software to make uh, that person's life a little easier. And that digital treasurer software, that, that concept uh, morphed into uh, facilitating side bets within fantasy leagues. You know, these are skill-based contests. Uh, so essentially we took the notion of daily fantasy and brought it to the season long format. And we, we built uh, hooks within, you know, some of the biggest platforms like Yahoo and ESPN. Uh, this product side prize went on to win multiple awards in the industry, including the rookie of the year uh, back in 2016. Um, and then naturally, uh, you know, like, like many others in the space at the time, you know, we experienced uh, a big setback, um, you know, with, with everything that went on in late 2015 and into 2016. But you could also call that a blessing in disguise for what would eventually become prize picks because the problem with side prize was I would want to bet you, but you wouldn't want to bet me. So we required a double-sided transaction. And eventually uh, what that led me to is saying, you know, as these state laws are getting drawn up, there's nothing that specified uh, that uh, DFS and, and fantasy contests had, had to be peer-to-peer. Uh, and sure enough, there had been others that had come before us that had tested, you know, kind of what exactly a DFS uh, contest could, could entail. Um, so we're not the first ones to, to you know, remove the peer-to-peer requirement, um, but we are, you know, one of the first to actually execute and scale up a, uh, a game that is, uh, you know, you against the projections, as, as we like to say. So essentially what prize picks is, is you're just predicting over-unders of, of fantasy point predictions to pair it back to season long, and which was the root of the concept in the first place. You know, I'm already spending so much time, you know, studying up on the guys on my roster as well as free agents and, and who I'm playing against. So I have a pretty, I have pretty good confidence that Patrick Mahomes is going to go over 25 fantasy points uh, you know, uh, this weekend. So you, you, you put in Patrick Mahomes, but because of the, the necessities of fantasy contests, it's got to include multiple players from multiple teams. So over Patrick Mahomes under Dak Prescott, and that can basically, uh, you know, fit within the, the legal confines of fantasy requirements across the country. Yeah. And I, I checked out the app and played around with it a little bit. And I, I like, uh, that however many picks you're making, it gives you an option. You know, there's like a high risk option of, you know, your whole parlay essentially has to hit, but that gives you a bigger payout or you take a safer route where you can go two for three or some such percentage and still profit. It seems like you bake a lot of options into that concept. Yeah, we, you know, um, you mentioned the word parlay. Uh, so, so we modeled our power play format off of, off of that. Uh, you know, you pick two, three, or four. I, you know, it's also worth mentioning that we don't allow you to, you know, play play more than four because we figured out from a game dynamic standpoint, um, if we want to keep people coming back, uh, we're better off, you know, pushing you to to do two pick entries, three picks, or four pick entries um, because you're going to be uh, that much more inclined to make this a part of your daily sports viewing experience, which was our objective in the first place. Um, you know, on the flip side, we also introduced a format last year, I believe it was, uh, that basically allows you to miss one and still win. Um, and that's definitely a very popular format uh, these days. Because, and we actually try to push people in that direction because 
you know, one of the ways that we believe we stand out in the marketplace is, you know, uh, in the salary cap format, you know, there were those McKenzie studies that came out that said, you know, 1% of the customers win 90% of the money. Um, you know, in our, in our case, you know, you're winning a lot. You're, you know, in the two pick flex format, you're winning 75% of the time. So in that respect, it becomes a lot more fun to play our game. Uh, because I think a lot of the DFS community for one has been conditioned to losing for a long time. And we, you know, take great pride in, you know, wishing them good luck with their entries. And then, you know, seeing a lot of people win on a consistent basis. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we've got to be in business, business for a reason and we've got to figure out how to do that. So there's other stuff behind the scenes that goes on, but um, I think it, it, it both from a consumer standpoint, it, it's fun and it's exciting. And, 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 um, and from a business model standpoint, you know, it's a pretty strong model to begin with as well. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, I, I say, you know, and you know this, but there's a huge market out there of diehard sports fans who either don't gamble or only casually do. They dip their toe in a little bit, but they don't do too much. And you mentioned legality and there's a lot of confusion. You know, I go back to 2013 uh, in New Jersey here, uh, became the first state in the U.S. to have a wide swath of legal online casino games, you know, more than a dozen competing brands. And it took years for the numbers to really grow dramatically. Uh, and that's in spite of an advertising blitz on TV that probably to this day annoys New Yorkers and Philadelphians who can't participate. Um, so there's that challenge of uh, explaining to people uh, how do they know that it's legal and how do you uh, market that? How do you explain it? And is this legal in all 50 states, just to be clear? Sure. So, so, Currently, we're operational in, I believe, 26 jurisdictions, uh, as well as Canada. Um, so, but but that covers over 70% of the U.S. population. So, uh, we're we're we our digital footprint is is definitely more akin to you know uh, other DFS operators than sports betting. Um, you know, we've taken great pride in uh, the level of customer support that we've offered since day one. Um, you know, in general, we're very, we're very focused on quality over quantity. So, you know, we, we, we've set minimum thresholds for our, uh, uh minimum entry size. Uh, and, and for the longest time it was $10 and, and most recently with, with a big focus on, on esports, we've lowered that to five. But the reason I'm bringing this up is it's allowed us to in turn provide a level of customer support, what we call member support that is, you know, second to none. Um, and if you go read our reviews, which is a more direct answer to your question, uh, you'll basically see that, you know, people, um, you know, there's a reason we're, we're in the app store. I mean, this is a fantasy sports product at the end of the day. Um, there, there's a reason that, that people, you know, give us five-star reviews, you know, left and right and talk about, um, you know, how, how this is, you know, they, they, ha they haven't had a chance to, you know, um, you know, do sports betting in, in many of the states that we're operational. So, we are often considered to be the next best thing. So I think a lot of it, you know, to answer your question more directly, a lot of it goes back to leading with our customers and their viewpoints. Um, but then in terms of, you know, uh, where, where we market, you know, we're, we're focused on those 26 states with a heavy emphasis on certain markets, uh, some of the biggest markets in the country, in fact, such as, you know, Florida, Texas, California, um, that are obviously uh, very attractive markets. All right. So certainly when you got started in 2018, 2019, we're rolling it out. You couldn't have seen coming what was going to happen in the spring of 2020. Everyone operating in, in the sports gambling space has been forced to pivot the last couple of months with limited sports options. 
what are some of the unusual sports markets you've been exploring and how much interest have you seen from players during this time? Um, right, right after the, uh, the, the pandemic hit, obviously that was, that was a shell shock to everyone. And we were fortunate that we had experience with esports dating back to last year. Our first uh, professional league partnership actually came with a top esports league in the world. So it was a great learning experience for us. It was a six-month, you know, run with them. And, um, you know, while we shelved our, our esports pursuits uh, after that, we, we had dabbled, you know, with, with Counter-Strike and League of Legends, I believe, you know, in, in 2019 as well. It was very convenient that, uh, you know, as the traditional sports went away, we could quickly uh, pivot back to an esports focus, which we had always had in mind to bring back a, as part of our growth strategy. But it, it just became our interim Q2 strategy. So that's kind of where it started. I will say that as we were transitioning down, you know, as a as a fantasy platform, um, you know, we we have never offered the wide variety that that sports betting platforms typically offer. But as as different sports leagues were getting taken away one by one, you know, we we offered you know the Mexican soccer league, uh, professional soccer league on the Sunday night uh, around May March fifteenth, and I was. I, I, I was very pleasantly surprised at how many, many people took to what was one of the more attractive, you know, uh, uh, options left. Um, so I, I also think that that's quite encouraging as we kind of do the reverse as, as things kind of come back around. And, you know, just this weekend, we're going to get Bundesliga, which is a big thing. And now we're talking about offering soccer around the world with 24 seven, you know, options for our customers. So, um, and, and I think we have on, on the note of soccer, I think we have a, a window in time. And I think this is a broader notion for the industry that we have this window in time over the next four to six weeks to educate and, and, and get fans, you know, used to watching soccer matches uh, around the world. And maybe they'll make that a part of their you know, daily sports viewing experience beyond just the traditional ones that they would have been locked in in, in, in any normal environment. Um, the last thing I'll mention though, is, you know, we've, we've always viewed our, our, our platform as uh, a very mainstream accessible platform, but also a, a very uh, easy one to adopt for professional leagues as well. So it's a simple over under prediction. So I read some articles uh, from, um, from the American cornhole league that they were going to be one of the, one of the first professional leagues back. They were going to turn their contests into virtual competitions out of the gates. And, you know, I, I got in touch with them and next thing you know, we got a deal done pretty quickly Obviously, you know, there's a number of people out there that want to move quick in this environment and take advantage of this window in time. And so we're, we are definitely the, the only fantasy platform. And I believe we're the only operator in general that's currently offering action on the American Cornhole League, which currently has ESPN distribution again this weekend. Uh, so that's an exciting partnership. And we've got another one that is set to close here soon that we'll be announcing uh, soon enough as well. Hmm. Right, yeah, Adam, uh, I'm thinking about long-term strategies here. Um, you mentioned uh, – California, Florida, and Texas, um, and, and you're kind of being the next best thing to sports betting. And uh, frankly, I guess it's probably good for you that those states seem to be going nowhere on that front. But, um, you know, long term, if, if almost every state in the U.S. eventually legalizes sports betting, does that, uh, you know, harm your future? Or are you, re- sorry, are you relying on large states such as that uh, not legalizing? Or can you coexist with them and still kind of thrive? So I, so your questions is, is part of the reason that I, um, you know, I'm on the board of directors for the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and it's one of the reasons that I volunteered to co-chair the research committee so I could get as close to these statistics as possible. And I think 
our research from a couple of years ago basically indicated uh, this this myth that that sports betting is going to cannibalize fantasy sports is very over exaggerated. I can't quote exact numbers off the top of my head, and I don't I don't want to uh, misquote anything. Uh, but it, but it's 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 a very high percentage. Uh, we'll, we'll continue playing fantasy was kind of what the, what was uncovered, um, despite sports betting coming into those states. So so yes, do I do I believe it'll you know cannibalize some of the wallet shares? Surely. Uh, do I do I believe people will completely um, uh, veer away from our from our platform? Not not necessarily. Uh, and and but yes, I, I you know we are definitely more focused on markets that ha- do not have a full blown offering of real money fantasy and and sports betting and mobile sports betting. Um, but we also, you know, ha- have inclinations to also like our, like our friends at FanDuel and DraftKings, you know, one day jump the fence and be a sports betting, you know, licensed operator as well. Um, you know, our, 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 the root of our games is player prop predictions, you know, I mean, and that, that is many fantasy, you know, operators to begin with. So we would definitely come at it from that angle, which I think would immediately kind of set us apart. But um you know, just with our fantasy product, you know, as we all know, David Purdom's got a very, uh, you know, amusing um, or, or just entertaining thread going on right now on Twitter, you know, celebrating two years since, since the Supreme Court decision. And they're, you know, just talking about, you know, what, what are all the different, you know, opinions about, you know, how, how, the, how the country is progressing in terms of legalizing sports betting. And, and you know, I, I think there's always going to be an opportunity for a product like ours for a long, long time to come to have a place in this industry and serving a lot of co- consumers that, you know, are not fortunately in New Jersey with a full blown offering, um, you know, across fantasy and sports betting, but are, are in much of the country that, that is not afforded those luxuries right now. And, and as you said, John, you know, many of the biggest markets in the country don't, don't have those luxuries right now. So hopefully, you know, we, we are definitely a, a welcome uh, addition to the markets. All right. Well, very interesting stuff. Great talking to you, Adam. Uh, best of luck with prize picks. And uh, we'll all cross our fingers that you'll have uh, more sports options for people to choose from very soon. Absolutely. Don't forget to download the app is where we, where we tell people to start. It's a, it's a mobile mobile first app, uh, app and experience. And, uh, but you can also find it at prizepicks.com. So appreciate you having me on. There. All right. Thanks, Adam. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On Bankroll. We made two bets last week, so we have two new results in as we do our best to keep the bankroll semi-active during this extended sports lull. John put $50 on plus 250 pick Haley Moore in last weekend's Women's Golf Cactus Tour event, and she finished three strokes back in second place. So not a bad bet but a bad result for us. Uh, Fortunately, our other bet was a winner, as last week's guest Brian Pempis steered us UFC ignoramuses in the (laughs) right direction. Uh, I followed his advice and bet $50 on Justin Gaethje to upset Tony Ferguson, and Gaethje came through. So we won $75 on that bet. We finished the week up 25 bucks, and that means we're now in the black by $214 uh-huh. with $990 on hold in futures bets. And we're going to take this week off from betting, but am I correct to assume you'll come armed next week with a bet on the Tiger-Phil-Brady-Manning event, John? 
Oh, yes, I already know where I'm going with that one, but I'll, I'll save that for next week. Uh, as for the women's golf, I took the right price, the right player. Uh, Moore shared the low round of the day in round one and round three, uh, the 54-hole event. Just had a mediocre round two. It proved fatal, but it was the right play, and, and uh, I'm feeling no shame there. Okay, yeah. Uh, I, I've always said round two shouldn't count. Just throw it out. It's all about rounds one and three. In terms of the the Tiger Phil thing, uh, you know, you're definitely going to have a bet on it. Uh, you, sounds like you've already got it figured out. Um, I haven't really thought much about it, but I figure if they put out enough interesting props to go along with the straight winner bet, maybe I'll place a bet on it too, or else I'll find an NFL futures bet I like or something uh, next week. And uh, and we're creeping closer to me having boxing to bet on. Um, I, I'm guessing by the time we get to June the bankroll will probably be active every week on the podcast, which uh, which I know is everyone's number one priority during the <laughs> pandemic, that you and I can place our pretend sports bets every week. We're in the black, Eric. A lot <laughs> yes, of people want to be in the black. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Adam Wexler. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out. Uh, well, you know, my wish was answered on Sunday in episode seven of The Last Dance, that ESPN documentary about the 1997-98 Chicago Bulls. And in the final frames of the Bulls' uh, first round sweep of the Nets footage, uh, if you take a Zabruder-like film breakdown of the footage, uh, you have me at the far lower right of the screen courtside as Michael Jordan backpedals to celebrate the 15-point Game 3 win. Uh, I'm not even bitter about the ESPN logo cutting slightly into my FaceTime, really. Uh, I'll, I'll take you what I can get. Uh, you know, meanwhile, I, I can't get the hair back, but uh, pardon me, I'm going to go on a five-mile hike and then uh, have a salad after that. <laughs> and with that, and with that, until next time, everybody gamble on.